the Ortho PAC hosted by Sam Dyer. Welcome to the Ortho PAC where we discuss up-to-date orthopedic topics for the busy clinician. I invite you to sit back and relax as I attempt to fill in the gaps between education, current events, and real-world practice. Welcome back listeners. Today it is my pleasure to welcome Cindy Crenshaw to our podcast. Cindy is a coding specialist with Ortho Carolina and recently presented 2023 E&M updates for our orthopedic boot camp. Cindy, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. During your presentation, you also talked about inpatient encounter and consultation. Would you continue to use the same criteria as the old guidelines, but we're changing the 1st of January? And not to ask you a loaded question, but do you know what changes they've made? And maybe give us some cliff notes on that. Yes, absolutely. Big changes. So for the last two years, we've been really struggling with two sets of E&M guidelines. We've had the new medical decision-making only or time for our clinic visits, but then we had to go back to the old guidelines for all of our hospital visits and all of our office consultations. So that was very confusing because you may have had one clinic schedule in the office with two different sets of guidelines if you see consultations. The consultations in the clinic still went by those old guidelines. So you still had to jump through those hoops of all of the history, the ROS, the exam, no more. So effective January 1st of this year, we code all E&M visits based on either time or medical decision-making. And I know I mentioned it before, but I have to say it again. Still history and exam elements being documented are still required, but just as medically necessary. They no longer drive the E&N code. A word about consultations. Payers don't like to pay consultations because they pay more. We have very few private payers that are paying for consultations anymore. Really, the two biggies for us are workers' compensation and Medicaid are still paying for consultations. And we get a lot of audits on these. They don't want to pay for them, but they still are for now. So our last of the big payers that are paying for consultations stopped doing so this past November, and that was Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina. And so that was a a big disappointment, but we still have workers' compensation and Medicaid. So if you are still seeing consultations in the clinic, then you need to make sure you have your consultation documentation. And it's important because they will deny it in a heartbeat. So you need a good clinic consultation statement. You need to say that you are seeing this patient in consultation. Payers are looking for this word. Don't say referral. That is something else. You need to say you're seeing the patient in consultation. And then you need to also say who sent them, who requested that you see this patient. I have a a good easy statement, and it is seeing Susie in consultation for evaluation of left arm pain at the request of Dr. Sam Adams. I have that consultation word in there that we need. And then I have that requesting provider, the requesting provider's name. It's not enough to say try on medical partners or the VA. I get providers that say that all the time. They like to say, I'm seeing the patient in consultation at the request of the VA. That won't do it. I need that specific provider that is sending them from the VA. So that means you need your good consultation statement. And then you need to also make sure that you are sending the information back to that requesting provider. I have to tell you, we even have payers that are looking for proof that we sent the information back to the requesting provider. Can you believe that? That's a lot. So they are really trying not to pay for consultations. 
that is the, the criteria you need to still be able to bill for a consultation at the clinic. A lot of folks get confused with these, but you know, in reality, I think you only need to know a few. In your presentation, you talked about the 24 and 25 modifiers, and I'd like to make sure that this is a point that everyone understands. These are office visit modifiers, not procedure modifiers. Don't put 24 and 25 on the procedure because that's not where it goes. Can you also, Cindy, please explain what the 24 and 25 modifier mean and why is it even there? Yes. Nothing has changed with modifiers. And so let's just talk about them separately. Modifier 24 is an unrelated E&M visit that happens during a post-operative period or a global period. Medicare defines global as any medical services related to the surgery. That would include complications. An example of that, you have a patient in the global or the post-operative period. It's usually 90 days. They're in that period for their total knee and they fall or hyperextend, and they come in and they're worried that something's wrong. That is considered related and therefore a part of the global. Now, if they fall and have a periprosthetic fracture, now that's different. That is not a part of the global. You don't usually see those in the clinic. If they have that happen, it's usually in the hospital scenario. So in that case, it would be billable. If the findings are that they're okay, it's all right, that is part of the global. So anything related to the surgery, that's modifier 24. That's pretty cut and dry. So that would be if you see a patient for their post-op visit for their total knee, and they say, well, can you look at my elbow? Because I fell the other day and I knocked my elbow really hard. Then you might get x-rays of the elbow. That's when you get to bill an E&M visit and you would append modifier 24 to that E&M visit. And that would tell payers, hey, I know this patient is in the global for their knee, but this is something else. Because if you bill it without that modifier, it's either going to get denied or just changed to a post-op visit because you didn't have that modifier 24 on there. So you would bill an E&M visit with a modifier 24 if it is something unrelated to what they're in the global. Modifier 25, by definition, means it's a significant, separately identifiable E&M visit on the same day of a procedure. And as Sam asked about, for example, casting, if you are treating and putting a cast on a patient, that would be a scenario in which you would append modifier 25 to the E&M visit that says, yes, I still did E&M work enough to warrant billing an E&M visit in addition to putting on this cast. It's pretty easy when you're casting and you add that one. When it gets less clear is when you're doing a procedure like injections. I have providers all the time when I do these modifier 25 audits and they say, hey, I don't, I don't ever use modifier 25. Why are you bothering me about this? I didn't put it on there. At our institution, we actually add modifier 25 to the ENM visit on the back end. So if one of our providers bills an E&M visit and also bills an injection, we automatically append modifier 25. That says, hello, payer, this E&M visit is warranted in addition to this procedure that was billed on the same day. So you think, that's pretty easy. I just need to add modifier 25 if my system doesn't do it for me. Well, it's not that cut and dry. When you're doing an injection and billing an E&M visit, you have to make sure that the E&M visit is warranted to be able to bill modifier 25. 
we have a lot of folks that come in for, uh, we call them our frequent flyers for repeat injections. So if you see a patient and they had an injection, a steroid injection six months ago, and they come in and they say, I was doing great, but now my, my knee is acting up again. And you decide to give them a repeat injection, same drug, same knee, then you would not bill an E&M visit at all. Instead, you would just bill the injection only, the injection code as well as the drug. If you have not done a new workup, then you would not bill an E&M visit. And this is a, a very hot topic right now. We're getting a lot of denials from insurance companies. We're having a lot of audits and some education for our providers. And we do get a lot of pushback from our providers. And they say, well, I do E&M work every time I see a patient. And I believe you. I know that you do. These injection codes have E&M built into them. So the injection code for the knee, 20610 has E&M built into the RVU for this injection code. We don't expect you to just walk in and stick a patient with a needle without doing some workup, but the basic minimum workup is included in that injection CPT code. It's when you're making the decision to inject that patient for the first time. That's when it's warranted that you would bill an E&M visit and the injection. And in that scenario, you would append modifier 25 to that E&M visit. Okay. And you didn't cover this in the lecture, but I wanted to throw out there because uh, a lot of my colleagues and uh, a lot of my colleagues in the state and the nation give a lot of injections and do a lot of different kinds of procedures. So for procedure modifiers, the 50, 59, and 79, those are the ones that I've always used, 50 being bilateral, 59 being different levels like shoulder, knee, and 79 being the procedure during the global period on a different part. So are these still valid? Do we still use those modifiers or did those change with the changes with the guidelines? About uh, modifiers 59 and 79, those are really just applicable in surgery situations. We really wouldn't use those when we're casting or giving an injection. Okay. Thank you so much for clarifying that modifiers. Let's talk a little bit about x-ray documentation. We were instructed at some point in the past to make sure that the reading was separate and identifiable from the disposition that it really needed to be its own separate little paragraph in the note so that it stands out. And it also needed to have specific language in that. Could you explain some examples of how to document your reading of an x-ray? I.e., you don't want to say just normal knee x-rays were done or something like that. I do like uh, what the study is, x-rays, four views of the knee, and then I say indication, you know, rule out fracture, findings, blah, blah, blah. And that's always separate. And then you gave some great examples of just like that one sentence thing. Could you share that with everyone? Yes, you must document the number of views or the type of views that are ordered and done at each encounter. It doesn't have to be separate. You know, it can be within your office note, but it needs to clearly state the number or type of views that were ordered. And it must have your official interpretation of the findings. If you fail to document, say you fail to document the number ordered or the official interpretation, then your CPT code for the x-ray could be downcoded to the technical component only. And you want to be paid for that professional component. So it's important that you have good x-ray documentation so that you get paid for the total component of that x-ray. So some examples of what not to do. This one's a no-brainer. X-rays show no changes since last visit. But this one is also what not to do. 
x-rays of the ankle today show degenerative joint disease. What's wrong with that one? Well, you didn't tell me how many views of the ankle. You just said x-rays of the ankle. You did give me the findings, but you didn't tell me the number or type of views. A couple of examples of what to do. Here's one for the back. AP and lateral lumbar spine x-rays ordered, taken, and reviewed in the office today. So you told me what type, the way the x-rays are billed are in types with this. So you said AP and lateral lumbar spine x-rays ordered, and they show lumbar spondylosis with this space narrowing. Those are your findings. You told me what your findings. It goes on, but I won't bore you. That's the important part. You showed me what type of views, and then you showed me your findings. Another example, three-view x-ray of the knee ordered, taken, and reviewed in the office today reveal severe bone-on-bone -bone arthritis. You gave me the number of views, and you gave me your findings. You said it reveals severe bone-on-bone -bone arthritis. Payers look for it. I look for it. I look for words like shows, demonstrates, reveals. That shows me you're doing your own official interpretation, and then we're safe to bill for the total component of the x-rays. Cindy, I want to thank you so much for your time and your expertise and sharing with our audience. Of course. More guidelines for coding and billing coming up next week. Thank you for listening to the Ortho PAC podcast. Listeners, our fourth annual Ortho in the West conference will be arthritis to arthroplasty, February the 17th through the 19th in Phoenix, Arizona. The details are on paos.org website. Registration is open.